What's up, everybody? This is Tanner from TMNBaseballFan.com. I've got a pretty good and interesting question, I think. Let me pose this to you, and let's uh, kind of just talk it out and see where it goes. I've I've literally put about a minute and a half uh, worth of thought to this, so I'll just keep you know talking kind of like I do, and you know, unfortunately, it's going to be uh, aimless, aimless as it always is with me here. But uh, <laughs> here's the question: What if the junk wax era wasn't mass produced. Think about that for a second. So first of all, let's define what the junk wax era is. A lot of people will typically say uh, the 80s all the way to the mid 90s or so. Uh, I would generally tend to say that the heart of the junk wax era is 87 to 92 or 88 to 92. I think that's really when the printing presses were cranking like none other. And uh, where, you know, for instance, you, you still have uh, some pretty decent value in like uh, 85 tops, 86 Donruss, that sort of thing. And, uh, and really even 87 Fleer and 87 Donruss. But when it comes to like 88 tops, 88 Donruss, 88 Fleer, 88 Score, and so on and so forth with the exception of a few like you know the Kangerfee Juniors 89 Upper Deck and you know the 90 Leaf Set and that sort of thing. 892 Bowman you know with the exception of some of those uh, for the most part it's just uh, not a lot of value um, at least uh, up until recently really um, in those cards and the reason is because they paid million or they uh, printed millions upon millions upon millions of virtually every single card that was printed at that point at that time period um you know so baseball card collecting was really at that point at an all-time high where you know you couldn't go down the street and not see a a box of cards uh where the packs were for sale uh all the uh all the stores all the supermarkets had them um mom and pop shops everywhere i mean it was just a all over the place and plus it was just easy for parents to you know plunk down 50 cents for a, a pack for their kid and you know then they have a way to get social with their friends uh, over uh, trading and it was just a, a wonderful thing uh, back then so and also built the uh, laid the groundwork for a lot of young entrepreneurs uh, at that point as well so but the question I have for you is what if that wasn't the case what if the production numbers were a fraction of uh, what they are now, or of what they what they actually were. So instead of you know, let's say 1991 tops, where it's possible that you know the three, four, five million of each card were printed, what if it was only a hundred thousand, or two hundred thousand of each printed, or let's say it was significantly less, like fifty thousand. How would that impact the hobby today? I think that if we explore this long enough, we're gonna see uh, that it could have had like a massive butterfly effect, a major ramifications for our hobby and where we're at now. And I talked about this a little bit in my book, uh, Confessions of the Baseball Card Addict. Uh, similarly, not the, not the same, but similarly, where junk wax, to me and many others, uh, really kind of served as a gateway drug. And here's what happened. Um, it's kind of a little bit of a commentary. You know, we'll, we'll walk into a commentary 
of what's happened over the past several years. So uh, in about 94-ish or so, I think the uh, lockout happened and then uh, also the uh, shortly thereafter eBay came out. And so uh, here's what happened with the hobby. Uh, number one, because of the lockout, a lot of people decided, hmm, not really feeling the baseball card thing too much anymore. So they decide to put their cards in their closet and you know, of course that generation is uh, going into uh, you know, junior high, high school, wherever they are, uh, and they just they leave baseball cards behind. Uh, so eBay also uh, provides as a uh, very scary mirror for people who thought that they had rare cards when they realized, oh, uh, having an 89 Upper Deck Griffey isn't exactly uh, uh, rarefied air. It is all, <laughs> there are tons of them out there. And uh, I think that was probably really the first wake-up call for a lot of people was when they say, when they, they said, okay, well, um, I thought I had a rare card here, but this is like quite the opposite of rare. This is not rare at all. <laughs> and uh, so thing is though, is that down the road, uh, you know, this generation ended up growing up and uh, looking back uh, with nostalgic eyes, the, uh, their childhood. And of course, front and center was the baseball card craze. Now this is kind of followed my story almost to a T where, you know, I had all kinds of cards and up till really about 90, like, I think the, the collecting for me kind of trickled all the way up to 94, 95, and then just, you know, flatline basically. I still had the love for baseball, baseball cards, but just wasn't really an active participant. And really in 94, NI5, I wasn't really collecting all that much. Um, I would get a few packs here and there, I guess. Um, I don't really remember exact dates or whatever, but I was heaviest into it from 89 to 93, I would say. Uh, that was kind of the most of my collecting. Uh, so anyways, I ended up uh, growing up and getting married and uh, having a kid of my own and uh, getting a house and then, uh, and then start looking at baseball cards and go, wow, this is pretty cool. And it's kind of a fun thing to think about, like where, let's take, uh, for instance, 1985 Donruss thinking like that was an unfathomable uh, set or box or whatever uh, as a 10, 11, 12 year old for me to uh, to purchase. They're just too expensive. You know, so like you have, uh, for me at least, uh, I remember going into my favorite uh, baseball card shop, the bullpen, uh, back in Fresno, California, uh, and seeing on the wall all these wax boxes, the beautiful wax boxes with the, the top nicely tucked in in the back and then a little, you know, neon uh, poster board cut out where it has like the uh, possible uh, big, you know, big names and big hits that you could, uh, that you could pull. So for A5 Donruss, I'd imagine that they probably would have said Clemens, Puckett, Hershiser, Saberhagen, you know, maybe a few others, Eric Davis. Yeah, I would imagine that's what that's what it said. Uh, but the off-point thing for me was uh, <laughs> the price per pack was ten bucks. You know, something like that. 
And I think, uh, if I remember correctly, I think that's how it was. I think the A7 Donruses were 250 each, the A6s were five each, and the A5s were 10 each, um, if I remember correctly. And it really didn't matter because I didn't have that kind of money to, you know, to throw at it anyways. Uh, but anyway, it was uh, fun coming back to the hobby and say, oh, well, I actually have some money that I can do some things with. What if I bought the entire set? So, uh, and then having this goal of having all of the sets. And I got pretty darn close to it from, you know, my birth year, 80, all the way to the time that I really kind of stopped heavily collecting, 92, 93-ish. And uh, obviously it just uh, ended up where I <laughs> ended up uh, selling out everything later on down the road. But the feeling that like, you know, the, the, the part in between that I want you to pay attention to is probably maybe what you felt and what certainly a lot of other people felt because it was me as well, is looking at this set of 85 Donruss saying, wow, this was so out of reach. It was only in my dreams as a kid. And here it is. There are multiple options available to me for 85 Donruss. And heck, if I wanted to, I could get an entire wax box of 85 Donruss. And I just thought that was like the, the greatest thing ever. Now, uh, same thing even with like 87 Tops or 88 Fleer uh, or reliving the, the amazing feeling of having an entire box of 1990 Fleer to myself where there's nothing really in that set, right? But memories. You know, I remember buying an entire box for $18 uh, of 90 Fleer and thinking, wow, okay, that's going to take a while for me to recover <laughs> as a kid, you know, and thinking, wow, I can get that now and just, uh, and just enjoy it and really kind of relive it. Uh, but, you know, a lot of that is because of the prices. Like, these are dirt cheap up until recently, of course. I mean, if the prices of uh, wax from that time period has gone, gone up now, but uh, up until pre-pandemic, uh, these uh, boxes were like dirt, dirt cheap. And so I think what's happened is that has helped tremendously to be uh, what I would consider, as I said before, a gateway drug. Because people come back into this hobby and it's super easy to drop a few dollars to get that nostalgic kick. Get that nice little hit, you know? And that's kind of what I did. And what a lot of other people have done as well. And so, what do you do after you get that box of 90 Fleer? Well, you see what else you can get from your childhood. And as you're doing that, guess what happens? You fall in love with this hobby again. And uh, it is the greatest hobby ever. It's, uh, it's the best. There's so many different facets to it. And uh, so as you're searching uh, eBay or wherever, you start to notice these amazing looking cards, these works of art that were way different from 1990 Fleer. And uh, <laughs> that's where you start uh, spending more money, bigger money into these other cards here. Uh, I have a feeling that if the junk wax era uh, was not so overly mass produced like it was, that far fewer of us would have ventured into nostalgic waters. Uh, with it. I think that if the 90 Fleer box, for instance, uh, or let's say set, let's say I end up getting the set for 
let's say if it had any semblance of rarity and it was 80 bucks, I would have said, no, I'll pass. I'll, I'll figure something else out <laughs> and not really worry about cards anymore. But because they're so mass produced, it made it so affordable. And because of that, it was almost like the card companies uh, made a ticking time bomb for future generations or for the, the main uh, target generation of the kids that were growing up back in the late 80s and early 90s uh, that would be set off decades later and allow them to uh, get their hooks into these, these people that were once collectors and really draw them in hardcore. And uh, <laughs> I don't think they did that on purpose, obviously. I mean, the <laughs> reason why they're printing so much was not to uh, draw people in 20 or 30 years later, but rather just to keep up with demand and make more money and that sort of thing, of course. But that's what happened, I think. I do believe that the mass production of those led to the lower prices, which led to uh, more buyers and uh, former collectors uh, basically transforming them into returning collectors and now they're collectors again. So really kind of a, really kind of an interesting deal. So uh, now it's all about the price adjustment in your head. If you start thinking that, you know, 90 Fleer uh, is worth uh, $80 at this point, then you might be more willing to purchase 90 Fleer for $80. And uh, we're starting to see that quite a bit with the uh, PSA graded uh, cards, of course. I mean, <laughs> you know, so you think, uh, for instance, let's say you want a 1987 uh, Topps Bo Jackson, for instance. Okay, well, as a collector, all the kids loved them. And I mean, who doesn't love an 87 Topps Future Stars Bo Jackson? It's a fabulous card. But I mean, it's like a buck, if that, right? So what a lot of collectors like to do is they like to get a special version of it. And uh, that special version means it's gonna be uh, a lot more money, whether that means it's a special type of reprint that Topps has done and serial numbered it, or an autographed buyback, or a you know PSA 10 version of it, or a Tiffany version of it, or a Tiffany buyback autograph PSA 10 version. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but like one of those uh, collectors are going to go nuts over those as well, just so they can have that feeling of something special. It's almost as if having a card with just nostalgia uh, you know is no longer enough so you you plunk the dollar down for the base card that's got three million others like it out there it you know kind of gives you nice warm fuzzies but for some reason you put it in the PSA plastic and they grade it at 10 then all of a sudden it's you know the greatest thing since sliced bread uh, which is interesting. It's a it's a very interesting phenomenon, and I've uh, I actually sold out a lot of, of a lot of PSA 10 stuff uh, pre-pandemic, and I've started thinking again. I'm going to build that 80s binder. I'm going to get all the cards I want to uh, have that are keys, uh, key cards. But um, what the plan is is to do this uh, with raw cards instead of graded because yeah. You know, I, <laughs> if the A7 Top Spo Jackson is a dollar raw versus, you know, $200 graded PSA 10, which I don't know what it is, by the way, guys, I, don't, I've, I haven't checked the price of that. Uh, I'd rather put the $199 elsewhere into like a vintage or something 
or uh, other raw cards from my from my childhood. But uh, anyways, I, I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing. So what I'm noticing as well uh, is, uh, in spite of the fact that there's so many of these cards, and here's the end, ending of the timeline that brings us current, is in spite of the fact that they printed all millions and millions and millions of these cards, we're starting to see a resurgence in value. And uh, in these, so the uh, the 90 Fleer box that you know not too long ago once was uh, five dollars to get, uh, it is significantly more expensive, most likely now. Uh, maybe not 90 Fleer, but a lot of other types of uh, uh, boxes from that time period are. Um, and you know it's a <laughs> kind of a bummer because it's funny also because once you see a higher price i just noticed this about myself i get more interested in certain things i've noticed this with the uh 87 tops uh, uh toys r us rookie set um i noticed that one sold for like 25 bucks i'm like ah that's ridiculous why on earth does somebody do that and i saw another sell and another sell and another sell I think they averaged 20 bucks an hour or something like that. And then I started thinking to myself, huh, that sure would be fun to get back. <laughs> if it was a dollar set, I don't think I'd really have too much of an interest in it. So, um, and they, they mass produce those. They're not rare. There's uh, there's all kinds of them out there. Uh, same with the A9 Upper Deck Griffey. I mean, there are rumblings of them printing sheets of that single card itself. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's not a card that was like short printed or super short printed or whatever. And it is uh, the de facto uh, number one card uh, of the 80s. You know, it's, it's interesting how all that works. But um, anyway, so that's, uh, those are kind of my thoughts as far as uh, uh, what would happen. So if, uh, if the junk wax era, just as a recap, was not mass produced as much as it was, I don't think we would have nearly as many collectors now. Uh, and, uh, or another interesting take, let's say that junk wax uh, back then when it was produced was significantly more expensive. Let's say the packs weren't averaging at 50 cents, but instead $3 or $4 like they are now. Uh, I know inflation and all that, you know, would have made it feel like it was like $9 or whatever, but still you get the point. Um, I don't think that we would have had too terribly many uh, new collectors. Uh, nowadays even so it's a, it's interesting an interesting what-if scenario I guess and so I guess I'm uh, just <laughs> another one of the many many reasons why I love the junk wax era and that's kind of one of the fun things about collecting as well is you might not have love for uh, you know 88 Donruss or whatever you know there, <laughs> there's so many different facets there's, uh, you know, if you like vintage, you can go into vintage. If you like the new high-end stuff, you can do that. If you like the regional stuff, you can do that. If you like the uh, obscure, you know, type cards, you can do that. Like, you know, pre-war. I mean, there's just so many different things that you can get involved in uh, for collecting. It's, you know, kind of one of the things that makes this the greatest hobby ever. So, but anyways, those are my thoughts for tonight. Uh, feel free to uh, offer your thoughts and insight as well. I would love to hear you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.